Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Yeah, uh, before we get into it, I'm just going to pray, uh, and then we can get into our message. Uh, Father, we, we thank you that you are a good God, we thank you that you're a loving God, and we thank you that you gave us uh, your word that we can, we can learn from, and that we can understand you more, and we can understand how to be better followers of you. And we ask that you would be with us today, uh, helping us to understand what you have to say for us and what you call us to, um, so that once again we can we can be a light uh, for those in our community and we can represent the gospel uh, in our lives. In your name, we pray. Amen. Uh, well, we're heading into a new season at Lakeside, and we we decided that it'd be appropriate just to spend a bit of just a couple of weeks uh, looking at some of our identity uh, as a church, both for Lakeside and and more broadly speaking. And so, over the last couple of weeks, uh, Peter has looked at. Uh, where are we going and who we are. And then today we're going to be finishing off with asking the question of what are we doing. And I want to turn your attention to the screen. I'm going to, we're going to put up a picture of a young boy with a dream. Uh, and that dream was to play cricket for his country uh, and, and to represent uh, the Australian uh, nation in cricket. And coming off the field there, uh, I think I scored some runs, which is good. Uh, but did not make that Australian dream yet, uh, still in the works, um, practicing very hard on weekends. But one of the, the problems that, about me achieving my dream uh, was that I probably, I, I knew what I was trying to do, but I didn't really have the right approach in getting there. And so I thought, as many young people do, if, if, I, had the, if I looked like an international cricketer, then I would be an international cricketer. And so I spent uh, my summers trying to accumulate all the right gear, uh, a a cricket bat that cost a small fortune, and and trying to make sure that everything that I did on the cricket field made me look like an international cricketer. And I thought if I do that, if I look the part, then I would one day make it. Uh, And unfortunately, that is not the thing that the selection committee of the Australian cricket team looks at. Uh, They actually look at other things like, do they score runs? Uh, And that was unfortunately something that I did not do. And and so there's things where in life, because we see it in basketball as well, and so we we had our our state champs tryouts, and there's a lot of kids that have a lot of very fancy gear uh, and focus on looking like their favourite basketball player, but they're not particularly focused on getting the ball in the ring. They're not particularly focused on passing the ball really well. And, and so there, there are things that we are trying to do in life, but it matters how we get there. And for in, in Jesus' time, uh, there were a particular group of people uh, that were very focused on being with God. And so if you ask them what they're doing, like we're trying to live a life with God, we're trying to live a life worthy of being God's people. But if we actually broke down how they were getting there, it missed the mark. And as we ask the question of what are we doing, it's one thing to say that we, we're being a church, we're being Christians, we're, we're trying to achieve a relationship with God. It matters how we do it. 
It's not just about trying to look the part. Like I tried to look like an international cricketer or people come in the door trying to look like an NBA player or whatever it might be in life. It matters about how we do it. And it matters about how we get there. Uh, For the Jews, uh, and particularly the very religious Jews in Jesus' time, they were very focused on, on following this law that God had given them. And the purpose of the law that God had given them was to to help them to see partly how much they needed God. Because when they were unable to to attain the law and fulfill the law, they would see that they actually needed God and His mercy. But the other thing that they would realize as well is that the law was actually there to give them guidelines of how to, to love people really well and how to love God really well. But what happened over time is that some of these Jews became so focused on following the law so specifically that that they didn't really matter how much they were loving people. They they were focused on on, on following all the different laws and ticking them off and and showing how religious they were, but they weren't actually loving people and they weren't actually loving God. And so the whole reason that God had given them the law was actually completely missed. And if they would say, oh, I'm, I'm doing... Judaism, I'm following God, I have a relationship with God, but they completely missed the point. And so they looked like very religious people, and people saw them as very religious people. But when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had some very critical things to say to them about how they looked versus what the underlying function was. And so we're going to be in, in Matthew 5 today, uh, and it's kind of just, um, just a part way into the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be starting Matthew 5, chapter 13. This is what it says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so as we look at this passage, there's a couple things going on. So the first thing that's going on is that Jesus is being critical of people who look like the things that they're supposed to be but aren't functioning as the things they're supposed to be. So he's saying, you're supposed to be salt, but you're not salty. The critical part of being salt isn't looking like salt, it's not smelling like salt, not that I don't think salt has smell, but it's not, it's not doing any of those things, but it's actually being salty. The point of being light isn't to just happen to be light, it's actually illuminating things so that people can see things. And it doesn't matter how much you look like the thing that you're supposed to be, if you're not functioning as the thing that you're supposed to be, it's useless. And, and Jesus is criticizing the, the, the religious people of a day and saying, hey, it doesn't matter how well you follow the law, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you're not following the, the things that I'm, I've actually called you to be and who I've called, what you call, I've called you to do, then it's useless. And as Christians, we don't want to be a church that looks like a church. We don't want to be Christians that look like Christians. We want to be people that are functionally Christian. We want to be a church that is functionally a church in the way that we are called to do it, 
not just doing the right things so that we look good, but actually looking at the underlying things that actually bring us to be a church so that we can be a, a good church. Because it's really easy to, to be someone who looks like a Christian. Like we can do a really good job of that. We can, we can look like some really good Christians if we try really hard. And, and if we try really hard, I'm sure we can be a really good church if we try really hard to look like a really good church. But, but God wants us to be a functional church. God wants us to be functional Christians who see the underlying things that make us Christian, that have a relationship with God, that love people, that can be salt and light. Not just looking like salt, not just looking like light, but being salty salt and illuminating light. And if we, if we kind of to understand what is the underlying thing that, that actually does that, it is living gospel-centered lives. And if you'd ask, what does it mean to, to live a gospel-centered life? It is to understand sin and grace. We want to understand what it, what it means to be someone who is a sinner and what it means to be someone who has received grace from Jesus. That is, that is what uh, being, like understanding the gospel and responding to the gospel is, is, is understanding that we are sinners and that we have received grace through Jesus' death on the cross, that we are brought back into a relationship with Jesus through his death on the cross. And so I want to look at not only what are we doing, but what does it mean to understand those two things? What does it mean to understand sin in our own lives and then to understand grace so that we can be functional Christians that are functionally salt and light? And so the first one is not the fun one, it's sin. We don't like talking about sin. We don't like talking about how we are sinners. Uh, and, and I think quite often there's a lot of confusion around what it, what, what it means as a Christian when we talk about being sinners. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I think makes it even more complicated is today we don't like talking about how people are sinners. Like the world hates kind of identifying as a sinner. If you're a sinner, you're like a you're not just like an average person, you're a really, really bad person. Uh, and this was illustrated quite well recently in the news. There was a, um, a pastor in Melbourne that was interviewed by Koshi on Sunrise. We all love Koshi. Uh, and, and, he was, and he asked the question, how, how dare you call people sinners? But the, but the thing is, the Bible actually says that we're sinners. And, and there's this lens where, where people are fundamentally good, like everyone's kind of a good person in Australia, like we're all good people. Uh, and, and if anything, like I am especially good, like I'm a really good person. Uh, and, and if you want to criticize me, I'm going to double down and show you why I am a good person uh, and I'll fight you for it. Uh, and uh, if, if, if something bad happens, it's typically because typically there's bad people around us, there's just a few of them around and we've got to keep those people out of our lives and away from, from the good things in life. Sin, sin is not, not kind of part of the equation in ourselves. We're not, we're not generally broken people. And, and there's, there's little hints of truth in that. Like, we, we try to be good people. Like, no one's going, no one, like, as a kid is like, when I grow up, I want to be a bad guy. No one's, no one's thinking that. But the Bible tells us that we are fundamentally sinners. And, and when we don't realize that, we run into a lot of problems. The, the first problem is that when we don't think that we're sinners, it makes it very hard to work through our sin. So, 
quite often. Like we'll, we'll create like a good people, bad people mentality. So if, if someone's calling me out for something, it's because they're a jerk. It's not because I could be doing something wrong, because I'm a good person. If, you know, if, if, um, if someone is doing something wrong around us, like, then they're a bad person, so we need to really stamp that out. And, and so we, and, and we try and find ways to avoid being the sinner. Um, the, there's tons of examples of this in the Bible. So uh, when, Adam, it, when God accuses Adam of, of taking the fruit, what does he do? Blames Eve. It's Eve's fault. It's not mine. I'm a good person. What happens uh, when, when Cain uh, kills Abel and God asks him where... Where's, where's Abel? Not sure. Didn't see him. I, like he tries to tries to pretend that it's not. I didn't do anything bad. Actually, you know, you did. You killed him. What happens? What happens when Moses kills kills the the Egyptian guy? He runs away. Can't can't get accused of something that you're not there for. Like, what happens when David sleeps with Bathsheba? He he kills the person that might get him in trouble. Like, people try and, and run away from their sins, so they don't have to come to terms with being the bad person. We try and avoid being the sinful person. And so when we do that, all of those things cause massive problems. But we, we, we don't like, and it causes problems. The second thing is when, and this is where things start getting more important for us as Christians, is when we don't realise that we're sinners, it makes it incredibly hard to see grace. See, if, if you're not a sinner, then Jesus doesn't need to die for you. If, if you're only a, a slightly bad person, then Jesus only needs to slightly die for you. So, so the, the, the less of a bad person you are, the less you need Jesus. And the less you need Jesus, the less you, you have received grace. And the less that you've received grace means that all the things that we as Christians respond to is, is less. And so sin is actually a really important part for us, as much as we hate it, as much as we hate to admit it, is that the the less we understand our sin and our brokenness, the less we can understand how great Jesus is, the less we can respond to grace, the less we can see how amazing it is that we have Jesus. Because if he's only slightly helpful, like there's lots of people in life that are slightly helpful. But if we are fundamentally broken and Jesus saves everything, then Jesus is very helpful. The third thing is when we don't realize that we're sinners is it's incredibly hard to extend grace to others. See, if we see ourselves as good people, when someone does something wrong, we can't see ourselves possibly stooping that low. If we're a good person and, and someone wrongs us or wrongs someone that we know, we do some pretty mean things. Like when, and, and, and so, and the, the opposite is that when we realise that we're actually sinners, and when someone wrongs us, we're like, "Oh, I've been there." Like I know what it's like to be broken. I know, and, and so the way that you deal with rebuke is different. The, the way that you deal with, with, with coming and, and approaching someone is a different, is a different attitude. Because, because it's not like, oh, you're a, I'm a good person, you're a bad person, I'm going to send down the wrath of God on you because God only likes good people. It changes because we understand our sin. So our accusations look different. And vice versa, like when, when someone accuses of something, it's like, if someone's like, oh, you've done a bad thing, rather than being like, how dare you accuse me, it's like, oh, probably, I'm a pretty bad person. 
and like, I'm going to fix that because I, I actually want to get rid of my sin. And so we, we, we take accusations differently. If, if you accuse me of being a sinner, I'm like, yes, I am. Please tell me so that I can be better. If you're not a sinner, it's how dare you. Things change when we realize that we're sinners. The way that we see grace changes when we realize that we're sinners. And, and then, uh, and so the, like, the, the thing that I want to emphasize in this is that it's not like in, in the past, like sin has been kind of a tool to kind of focus on like making you feel guilty and shameful and, and responding out. That's not what this is about. Understanding sin is so that you can, you can it's not so you can work yourself into goodness. It's, it's so you can understand what you have received despite what you have deserved. Uh, Paul's attitude, I think, is, is the perfect example of this. Um, quite often, like when you, when you read his letters, he will talk about how much of a sinner he is. And it's not because he, he feels bad, it's not because he's kind of just dragging his guilt around, but it's because like, he'll always turn it towards the grace that he has received. And First Timothy uh, chapter 1 is a really good example of this. Uh, and so if we look at verse 13, uh, it says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul doesn't use his sin to guilt himself. He uses it to see the grace that he has received. And, and, and if you want to like, see someone that does a lot of stuff for Jesus, Paul's done pretty good. He wrote half of the New Testament. He told a lot of people about Jesus. A lot of churches, the first churches, were there because of him. Not because he was, just felt really, really guilty, but because he experienced grace. And, and as we turn to grace, like, we, we need to make sure that, because we need to make sure that as much as we experience sin, we, we need the grace part too. Because if we don't have grace, we put ourselves in a very sad situation. If we, if we don't experience the grace of God in our own life, there is nothing we can call people to respond to. There's a lot of very religious people out there that look much better than us and probably always will look much better than us because they're very scared of what might happen to them if they don't do the right thing. But the thing is that they're only going to do the right thing because they're scared of what might happen to them. People will come knock on your door and tell you about Jesus, and I'm not sure many of you are super keen to do that because they're, they're scared of, of, of like, well, they want to go somewhere, and they think if they do it, it will get them there. But that's not what we're about. We have received grace, and we respond to the grace that we have received. We want to go out and share the message of Jesus. We want to be salt and light because we are so excited about the grace that we have received. We, we want to share the message of Jesus because we can't believe what, what, what we deserved 
and how great it is that we got grace. And for Paul, he wanted to go out because he was so excited about grace. If we want to be a good church, or if we want to be a church that functions as a church, if we want to be functional salt, salty salt and illuminating light, we, we need to understand the grace that we have received and respond to the grace that we have received. That is, that is, is what we want to do. And if we turn back to this idea of salt and light, salt and light gives us two very good things of what we need to do in order to be a church and functional Christians. Um, today's salt is a table condiment, um, but 2,000 years ago it was used for quite a few more things. Uh, salt was, if you, if you wanted your food to taste good, you would use salt. Um, 2,000 years ago, um, you didn't have a fridge, so if you wanted your, your food to last, you used salt. 2,000 years ago, you didn't have antibiotics, so if you had a, a wound or something that needed medical attention, you used salt. If you, if you wanted to kind of uh, make your fertilizer last and make your fertilizer useful, you had to put salt in it. So if you want your food to grow, you need salt. If you want to use you know, your wine skins and all the stuff around that, you use salt. Like salt was pretty much the most useful thing that you had in the ancient world. If you had salt, perfect. If you've got a salt, you're probably doing pretty well. God is calling us to be the most useful thing in this world. When, when he's saying that you are the salt of the world, he wants us to be useful. When, he, when he's talking about being light... He, he, what does light do? It illuminates things. When there's light, we can see what's going on. When God calls us to be the light of the world, and, and he even says it, he wants people to see how great God is. When we're to be the light of the world, we want to be people that shares the message of the grace that we have received, just like Paul. We want to share the message of the gospel with the people in our community. When it comes to being salt, like we have an awesome church. Like when, when I talk to other pastors and, and we talk about like what do you do in your community, it's like, oh, sometimes people rock up for Sunday mornings. And that's it. It's like what else do you do? So people rock up on Sunday and hopefully sometimes someone walks in off the street. We got thousands of people coming in. This this building is incredibly useful to people beyond us. In fact, sometimes it's very unuseful because it's used by other people. There's a lot of problems with running a church on a basketball court. But there's thousands of people that can come in here and use it and we can be useful. And not just, as, just, not just useful for them playing basketball, but we can, we can, you know, if someone's having a hard time, we can give them a meal. If someone's struggling with something, we can give them some advice. There's people around that are there to help and care for them and be useful people in their lives. And by the grace of God... Lakeside it has been a very useful place for a lot of people. And that's a really cool thing. And, and we want to continue to do that. We want to be a useful group of people for our community. And when it comes to light, we, we want people to come to know Jesus and see how great God is because of the way that we live our lives. And when we can see people that, that sit in these pews or these chairs or this grandstand or whatever we want to call it, 
and we see people that came to know Jesus because of the light that you have been, that's really exciting. When, uh, when I, when a couple of years ago, when I went to the US to, to go to a wedding, I stopped by um, this little place, and it was called the Grand Canyon. Now, if I, if I was to tell you about the Grand Canyon, uh, you might think that's kind of impressive. It's a cool place. If I was to show you this photo, you'd be like, wow, that's pretty cool. If you were to actually go to the Grand Canyon, you'd be blown away. Like, I spent, I think, a whole day on a bus in the middle of nowhere by myself just to see this thing, and it was totally worth it. The closer you get to something, the better you can experience it. To, to hear about the Grand Canyon, not too bad. To see a picture of the Grand Canyon, pretty good. To be at the Grand Canyon and just to like stare into the abyss of nothingness, it's pretty amazing. And when it comes to us as Christians, and when it comes to anything, when it comes to what we're doing, the further we want to go, the more this underlying thing of how we get there matters more. When I was playing cricket growing up, I wasn't really focusing that much on watching the ball. And because of that, I got out a lot because I was more focused on what I looked like. As, a, as Christians, the further we want to go, the more we need to understand sin and grace. Paul understood it very well and talked about it often. Because, and, and the more he saw it and the closer he got to understanding how much of a sinner he was and how much he deserved, but how much grace he had received because of that, the greater the experience was. The closer we get, the better it is, just like the Grand Canyon. Just like in cricket, if you're playing for your country, the ball is coming very, very fast and sometimes at your head, so you need to watch the ball. As Christians, if we want to be the most useful thing in our community, and if we want to genuinely be a salty and, and light-giving church, those underlying things matter so much more. So we want to, to understand those things every day, to continue to remind ourselves of those things every day. What does it mean to be someone that is saved by grace? What does it mean to respond by someone who is overwhelmed by the grace that they have received? If we try to look good, we will fall apart. We try to understand these underlying principles. What do we what do we what do we, needs to happen underneath to, to, to be a church that is doing salt and light? Then I think we can do pretty good. I think we can we can we can be a useful, you know, thing in our community. We can we can we can do some great things and we can show people who God is. So I want to challenge you guys. Let's let's think about who we are. So then we can do some awesome things. Like I, want, I want to see people come to know Jesus. I want, to, I want people to, to know us as, as the, the rec center that is useful to the community in, a, in, a, in an incredible way. And, and the way we're going to do that is by understanding the gospel. Continuing to remind ourselves and, and to intimately know it and experience it, just like experiencing the Grand Canyons so that we can be salt and light in our community. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one more song. Father, it's one thing to, to look like a Christian, but it's another thing 
to experience your sin, the, the sin that we, we have and the grace that we've received despite that. Help us to understand how great you are, how much mercy you have for us, so that we can be salt and light in our community. Thank you that you're an awesome God, and we pray that we can be functional Christians and a functional church that does great things for you, so people see how great you are. In your name we pray. Amen.